You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 106 of the Comic Book Informer podcast for your comics releasing on January 16th, 2013. As always, or as usual, at least, I'm your host, Vince, along with a very interesting Roger this week. What do you mean interesting? I was, you know, I was doing fine until you sent me the link to that freaking news. Right now, you're high on pain meds, rage, and crackers. Yeah. (laughs) And tea. (laughs) (laughs) It's a winning combination. Come on. <laughs> so uh, we're actually going to jump right into that news. And uh, well, we have a bad news, good news situation today. Uh, yesterday, DC released their uh, new solicits for the month of March, I believe it is. Yes, March. Uh, their issue 18 when, month, whenever that is. <laughs> and a, a few changes uh, had occurred. Uh, Robert Venditti is off of the new Constantine comic before it even starts. Uh, from reading interviews and stuff, I realized that it was just a creative decision. He already had a lot of work on his plate, and uh, it was a better tone tying it in with some other writers, uh, the guys that are going to be working on Justice League Dark. So they decided just to do some uh, reshuffling there. They have some more work for Venditti, though. However, in addition to this, before he even had a chance to have a single issue come out, our buddy Jim Zub is off of Birds of Prey. And I'm just going to throw it to you. Dude, uh, <laughs> see, I've had a few minutes to calm down now, and which is good because if you would have sprung this on me, because I hadn't read this yet, and had you sprung this on me, I would have had to have been digging out not just a couple of bicycle horns, <laughs> but a whole <laughs> string of them. I was that upset. This is DC has been making a string of bad decisions with their writing, and this just pissed me off to no end. No end. I oh, I'm still <clears throat> livid. Not happening. <laughs> hey, oh, like go check out my Twitter timeline. You know, at Sam Odian, and, and like I went nuts yesterday. I was like, you know, I try not to bash DC, but. This is ridiculous because it's not just this. I mean, we were just talking about this not that long ago with Gail Simone and all the other things they've been going through trying, you know, in their words, trying to keep the new 52 fresh and exciting. Well, you also kind of need to keep readers around. I mean, I've dropped any number of marginal DC books that I was at least slightly interested in because they kept changing up the freaking creative teams. If there's no consistency, why, why am I going to bother? Why, why am I going to even try getting into something when I know six months down the line, it's going to be completely different. And that's one of the things that really bothers me about DC in general, but this specifically, because like there's, they announced last month that he was writing this issue. And now this month, it's just, rug pulled out from under us, his fans, as well as him. I mean, he's losing a paycheck over this essentially as well. And like, they don't even give a reason. They're like, oh, we really liked what uh, Jim had, but uh, we decided to go in a different direction. Like, why? You know, what? And it's not like the uh, the new incoming writer, Christy Marks, who's working on Sword of Sorcery right now, <laughs> has... Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's not like she has this great idea. She was giving an interview today where she's like, yeah, right now I'm reading the back material so I know what characters I'm writing. This comic comes out in two months. It's got to be written. It's got to be drawn and everything. Like, I'm going to read this just for sheer hilarity to see how much of a disaster it is. Like, the writer 
I, I don't know the lead-in time on a comic, but I would assume the penciler is at least going to need a script in his hand within a week or two of now just to get the thing out the door in time. And the writer doesn't even know the characters she's working with yet. This is ridiculous because, once again, like you're saying, they're, they're trying new things and they want to try new things. Well, okay, try new things, but here you had an opportunity to bring in a new writer. Bring in somebody that's fresh, that's going to have some new ideas, that's going to do a good job, who has proven that he has a track record with other comic books and that he's a good writer. And I'm not just talking about Skull Kickers, but you look at the rest of his work too. He is a solid writer. And I'm, you can read some of the other stuff that he's written as well in his blog in terms of giving advice to writers and things like that. Again, the man's got talent. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He understands characterization and, and how to weave these intricate plots as well and things like that. Um, one of the things that he said with Skull Kickers too is that a lot of people who read it may think that it's it's chaos, but that's what he wants them to feel. There is an underlying story throughout all of it, which is what we've seen as well. And so when you're seeing something like this, like I, I was so looking forward to seeing what he was going to do with those characters and what kind of story arcs he was going to be working on. I was truly excited to read a freaking birds of prey comic. Okay. That's a big thing. And now it's in the hands of someone like you just said, that's not even familiar with the characters that obviously does not have a handle on what they're going to be doing with the stories or the characters. So it's like just being tossed around. I, I'm so disgusted in them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, luckily Zub still has something to fall back on. And that's, of course, Skull Kickers. And I just wanted to throw it out there real quick. We got the, uh, the uh, latest issue of Skull Kickers announced <laughs> on his blog. Mighty Skull Kickers yeah. number one. Going with more adjectives. It works. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I just have to get I, huge props to uh, Edwin Hong, his artist. Uh, the cover is actually a great homage to uh, Mighty Thor 337, where Shorty is standing in for Beta Ray Bill. So that that is an absolute must own frame it, put it on the wall for me. <laughs> and as very many people know, that is one of my favorite comic issues of all time and probably my favorite cover. Yeah, I saw, actually, I saw you Twittering about that too with him. So yeah, no, I, luckily he is still working on something. So luckily we do have a place to find him. That's good. And uh, I actually sent him an email today after I read this and I was saying, you know what? It's their loss at this point. And I am really hoping that he gets picked up. Maybe there is, it's a blessing in disguise. Maybe he'll get picked up by Marvel for something else or, you know, go work at Image and do another series of uh that's more superhero or whatever so like we're not done seeing him that's for damn sure yeah, absolutely and then just one other small thing i wanted to touch on um of course marvel's still cranking out you know all their announcements and stuff for marvel now but there's one that was announced yesterday that like it, it was just levels of awesome for me that i wanted to poke at point at and that is the adjectiveless x-men is being relaunched as a new number one later this year and it's being affectionately called the double X-Men because that's the, the solicit they put up with just the two X's, of course, referencing two X chromosomes because the entire team is a female cast uh, featuring Storm, Psylocke, Rogue, Rachel Gray, Kitty Pride, and Jubilee. And I just think that's great. You know, we saw, we saw this with uh, Fearless Defenders, an all-female cast. And I, I really like how Marvel is really pushing their female characters in a positive way. Uh, here, uh, Fearless Defenders, even Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel's a fantastic comic, and Carol Danvers is a fantastic character. So I really appreciate because the, the X-Men have this great cast of all these well-developed female characters. And 
giving them a place to shine on their own, I think, is overall a very good thing. Why isn't it being written by a woman, though? And now that is not me saying that men should not write as women by any stretch of the imagination. This is conversations I've had with people about writing and things like that. No, of course not. But when you're looking at an industry that is hurting so bad for female writers and to the point where DC is, you know, causing such a big brouhaha because of letting go Gale, why not put a talented woman writer on this kind of series? I have no response to that, but it, it is a good point. I Because it's, I mean, they, they reference prior writers like Morrison and whatnot that, that did the all-girl cast before kind of thing, and that's all well and good. And again, not saying it can't be done, but here looking at the fact that they've been having such bad press, the comic industry, for not having enough women writers, and here's the opportunity for a relaunch of a major title with solid characters that it's all there. It's pretty hard to screw this kind of thing up. Not that a woman would, but I'm just saying like you could give a chance to a new writer that maybe is not as proven. Just you had this fantastic opportunity to, again, get some more women writing. It's not that they're not out there. It's that they're not being hired. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just, that's the only thing I saw that and I went, God damn, mm-hmm. like why, why, why put Brian Wood in there? <laughs> And, and then just one last little thing I wanted to point out, uh, just looking at Koipel's artwork here for the, the cover of the first issue, these aren't just, you know, strong characters, but they're drawn appropriately. They're the only skin that you see is, is you know, Storm's got a bit of cleavage. I mean, Psylocke has pants. That's 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 huge. a big one. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all drawn with proper proportions and, you know, not pin up poses and stuff. And that if that theme as well continues throughout the comic, that's that's definitely something to be proud of. Exactly. Because that's I was reading one not that long ago and I can't remember the name because honestly, I didn't even finish the damn thing. But it was an all X-Men female cast. And again, I'm going to have to find it again. And it was literally sleazy pinup pose after another. I was like, oh, come on, guys. And so that's when I first read this, I thought, oh, great, another one of these. But then I looked at the cover and you're right. No, it's it's very well drawn. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving into our discussion for today, um, I've been wanting to bring this up for a while and especially recently because, Roger, I know you're loving Hawkeye just as much as I am. I, well, Dude, man, what was it? It was issue number six, wasn't it? The last one? The, I think so. The Christmas yeah. issue. Yes. Oh, that was so awesome. It was, oh, it was so good. <laughs> so when when Hawkeye was first coming out, you know, I said, you know, I have some faith in this because I've read Fraction and Aja working together before on Immortal Iron Fist. So with Hawkeye being such a breakout hit, I thought now was a really good time to actually go back and look at Immortal Iron Fist. Uh, specifically, we're looking at the first six issues, the first story arc, the last Iron Fist story, uh, started up in 2006, and it's actually co-written by Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction. Uh, at this point, Brubaker had become one of Marvel's breakout stars with uh, his phenomenal Captain America work. So, you know, they they actually had him and his buddy Matt Fraction. This was one of Fraction's uh, first writing gigs with Marvel. They both co-wrote this and uh, Uncanny X-Men for a while. And, of course, they brought in David Aja to just destroy every single page of artwork possible. And even Matt Hollingsworth's color work is phenomenal. And just, I love everything about this series because you see everybody's influence you see aja's artwork with the crazy kung fu stuff going on you, you see fractions bigger big ideas like he, he's always been a big thinker and he's expanding upon the iron fist uh lore with multiple heavenly cities and stuff and then you have brew baker that 
strong character work and you know the 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 noir type stories that he likes to do and it all comes together into a fantastic comic in my opinion so before we actually get into it general overview from uh, your point of view basically pretty much everything you just said the only <laughs> thing that i would say is that and and see i have not read a ton of immortal iron fist so some of this and again i'm i'm still getting caught up on 25 years of not reading comic <laughs> books okay um actually we'll get into some of that during the what we're reading but um so and again i don't know how much of this is actual lore and how much of this is they built on what almost was there. all of this is them making new okay, stuff up. okay good uh because some of it it does get confusing some of it, when you're looking at all of the various immoral uh, Iron Fists over the ages kind of things and the way that they bounced around, some of it was, I don't want to say confusing because it wasn't, it wasn't that bad kind of thing, but it, it still was kind of like a little jarring how it jumped around a little bit here and there. And that was my only complaint. And it's a very, very minor one. The, the writing is solid throughout, uh, like you said. The characters are just fantastic. Like when you're, you're, you're really feeling something for the characters and, and they're... They're well-defined. It's They're not all the same character in a costume kind of thing. So I liked it. And like you said, the art, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The art couldn't be better. Couldn't fit this more perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, prior to this series, at least to my knowledge, because I've always been interested in Iron Fist just because, you know, he's a kung fu guy. I have, yeah, I love martial arts characters. But to my, no- to my knowledge, at least, um, he, you know, he was a rich guy, went to Mystical City, fought a dragon has Kung Fu superpowers. Like that's pretty much the extent of his character going into this. So right off the bat, first page of the first issue, they're showing you other iron fists throughout history. And I mean, we knew other iron fists existed, but we never really got to see them. And every issue starts off with a scene from one of those previous iron fists. And each one is just as awesome as the other. I mean, it's, I absolutely love how they took this concept and just ran wild with it. Yeah. The only thing that, the only other thing too, that I was like, eh, but this is not having to do with this because it's part of the established lore, but I'm really tired of all these rich guys becoming superheroes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Enough's enough with these megalomaniacs that have tons of money that become superheroes. That, because there's too many similarities then when you're listening to the, when they're out of character, when they are themselves, and it's like, it's the same crap that we see with Batman, with, with uh, Green Arrow, you know, it's like, enough with the rich dudes. Mm -hmm. So that, of course, leads to the uh, reveal of Orson Randall, who was the previous Iron Fist before Danny, and he's still active, you know, typically there's only one Iron Fist at a time, and we find out this dude has been kicking around since World War One, and actually as is being the Iron Fist, he fought in World War One, and that really affected him as a person. Of course it would. It's a, World War One is one of the most horrible things to ever happen. Trench warfare in the middle of France and stuff. Like it's, it's not a place any human being would ever want to be. And then to come back to, you know, the mystical city where, you know, everything's happy and see how it fundamentally changed him as a character and he could no longer be the Iron Fist. So he just kind of booked it and ran. That was some great character development from a character that was really around for what, three and a half issues. Was it only that? I mean, he showed up I thought it at was the very than... end of issue one, and he kind of kicked it half at the beginning of issue six. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. He actually, he was a very, very interesting character to read. He was fantastic. Actually, at some points, a lot better than than Danny even. 
and he has gun foo. Yeah, it is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another cool thing they're bringing in. Danny, Danny's use of you know Shao Lao's power has always been for the Iron Fist. It's pretty much all he knows how to do, because Orson has been hiding the book of the Iron Fist that teaches Iron Fists how to use their their chi for other purposes, you know, for firing projectiles, for hypnotism, healing. All these things that they're now bringing out. They're not just bringing in new characters, not just bringing in new backstories. They're expanding upon the character of Danny Rand himself and giving him new ways to use his powers. And for a hero that's been around for a long time, that's always something that's important that a lot of writers skip. How long did this run for? Uh, I ran for like three years, I think, somewhere into the 30s in the issue count. Okay, because, yeah, we only read these. Yeah, I only read the first first six. six. Did you read the other ones after this? I have all of the trade paperbacks. So. Okay. All right. Okay. Because you got me curious now. Because now I'm really curious as to whether or not we really see a huge difference in character development after this. Because it's initially, it's essentially right at the end of that, that he's got the book and you're going to assume that he there's leap forwards in, in his style and in, you know, what what's mm-hmm. going to happen after that. So uh, the main antagonist in this first uh, storyline is the Steel Serpent, a longtime foe of Iron Fist. And I'm not even going to get into his backstory, but basically it's, you know, your typical martial arts villain of, you know, we train together and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But he's out to kill Orson, knowing that Orson is still active, to get revenge from Orson killing the immortal weapon from another mystical city. And that blew my mind when they first mentioned the fact that Kunlun isn't the only mystical city with an immortal weapon. And there are six other fantastic hidden cities, each with their own awesome martial arts, badass character. And I was just like, at more, I need more <laughs> of this right now because at the very end of the storyline, you know, uh, the August Visage in Green and Lee Kung the Thunderer come to claim Danny to go fight in the Tournament of the Heavenly Cities. I was like, this is absolutely awesome. Yeah, you re- really do. It's like I read six issues and it's like it ends there and it's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> must find trades. <laughs> but keeping on that trend of expanding upon Iron Fist, there's so much legacy from this brief run, honestly, that's carried forward into today's you know, Marvel. Uh, they they set up the other mystical cities and the other immortal weapons. Each one of them was a fantastic character, both in personality, power set, and just flat out visual design that we've seen used recently. Um, uh, the Prince of Orphans was used by Ed Brubaker in his Secret Avengers run. Um, Fat Cobra and, again, Prince of Orphans were used by Matt Fraction in Defenders. And we even saw the uh, Bride of Nine Spiders show up in Spider Island. So these are characters that are great additions to the Marvel Universe that are still out there to this day. And that's one thing I really have to respect. A lot of writers, when they're working for the big two, knowing that once they're they're done, Marvel and DC are going to have ownership over anything that they do. They're not very interested in creating anything new. I've, I've heard writers say, there's already a big enough toy box. Why should I buy more toys? But I absolutely love Brubaker, Fraction, and Naja for creating a vast wealth of new characters and new ideas that other writers can carry on with as the years go by. 
Yeah, well, see, that's a sucky attitude, in my opinion, for the, like you were saying, like, don't want to create because they don't have the rights to, well, yeah, but you're getting a paycheck and you're being paid to create these guys. That's part of the you're, deal. You're a creative person. Why yeah, would you why would you purposefully handicap that? yourself yeah. just for the purpose of collecting a paycheck? Like, no. I'm not going to mention any names, but, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm really against that. Like, you want to... If you're going to be there, bring your A game, create all this stuff. And and even if you don't get to to be the one that's always using them, that's the beauty of it. You get to see what other people are going to do with characters you created. I think that's freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's not just us that loves this series. Um, For the year of 2008, because this came out at the very end of 2006. So for the year 2008, it was actually nominated as Best New Series at the Eisner Awards. It ended up losing to uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer season seven, season eight, whatever it was. But you look, the winner in 2007 was Criminal by Ed Brubaker. The winner in 2009 was Invincible Iron Man by Matt Fraction. (laughs) So they both got shut out for the 2008 awards, but they kind of made up for it. And also in 2008, Ed Brubaker did win the Eisner for Best Writer with his writing uh, here as well as Captain America and Daredevil. So this is a great series that you could just pick up and read. You don't really need to know anything going in here other than Kung Fu superhero. And it's a ton of fun, great writing, great characters, just big, great action. I, I love this comic. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it was, it's absolutely phenomenal. And now you know why I had some hope for Hawkeye going in, even though it was Hawkeye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know what these guys can do together and they have not disappointed at any point in their careers. All right, so uh, moving into what we're reading for this week then. Uh, first, I have the new Star Wars number one from Dark Horse. I heard a lot of people talking about how fantastic this was. Uh, of, again, written by Brian Wood. That guy is writing a lot of freaking comics right now. And, I mean, it was it was a cool comic. The art was frequently fantastic, especially when, you know, the guy's drawing Vader. Can't, can't screw up Vader. Uh, a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, you know, political intrigue and, you know, those sort of stories that are always interest me, especially in a setting like Star Wars where we don't see that much, especially in a comic. My biggest problem is they picked probably the most boring time period possible to place the story. It takes place right after episode four. So we kind of know everything that's going to happen. Eventually, the rebels are going to end up on Hoth. You know, eventually... You know, all, no, no, there's no threat to any of the characters because they all live to go see episode five in the movies. And then you, you have the potentially the most interesting character in Luke who hasn't even trained to use the force yet. So he's just kind of mucking around with Obi-Wan's voice in his head. So uh, the comic was OK, but it's completely uninteresting to me just because of when they chose to set it in the time period. I picked it up. Uh, I'm going to be reading it going, man. <laughs> yeah, that's just exactly what I said. Like, I was really interested in, and right on the first page when they said it took place after A New Hope, I was like, oh, so none of the characters are quite that interesting at this point. Oh. All right. All right, uh, moving on. Cable and X-Force, I'm kind of on board with that at this point. Uh, three issues in, it's still interesting to me. I love the way they're framing up the story where they're still kind of bouncing around between the past and the future. And as the two points are getting closer to converging, seeing the way things are playing out, I'm on board with that. And I know we were giving it a couple issues, but I've given it a couple issues and I still want to read it. So it's getting a check mark in my book. Hmm. Okay. I've got three I haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. And Thor, God of Thunder. 
I know absolutely this is not going to appeal to a great number of readers just because it's Thor. But big, big props to Jason Aaron for the story. Like the way it's been told with, again, bouncing around between separate time periods of – but we're not talking a matter of days here like Cable and X-Force. We're talking thousands of years in between the time periods with young Thor, modern Thor, and future Thor. And the way the stories are converging, the way he's pacing the story, the way he's revealing various bits – throughout the the linearity of the comic but not the linearity of the timeline it's just an absolutely brilliantly written comic and as someone who likes thor i absolutely love that one i read the first two i think and that was it kind of lost me after that i I said i can't blame anybody for not liking it because it's not going to have mass appeal but i absolutely love it so what have you got for us this week okay actually i'm gonna a little different here um Give props to uh, Philip Jackson, who does sequential art. It's a webcomic. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can, so that people can check it out. Um, it's got 821 strips so far, and I got caught up on them in one day. Okay, it's, I could not stop reading it. Now, it's not going to appeal to everybody. Some people may find it a little too cutesy. I, I did not, but I mean, it's a guy living with a freaking cat chick and a penguin and whatnot uh, but <laughs> the guy is amazing at characters and making you care about these characters and there are some genuinely very very funny strips but his story arcs are just a blast to read so i really absolutely loved it. and this guy also does he's got a uh, a series called battle bunnies <laughs> that he started as well <laughs> which is more comic book form and being released one page at a time kind of thing. And so far it's got a lot more intrigue and stuff like that and more of a thriller with bunnies. Um, but again, it works. He's, it's really, really good. I, I can't recommend the sequential art enough. I l- absolutely loved it. I mean, obviously. Um, and then comics-wise, well, there's a whole bunch of other ones. But let's stay with Spider-Man because... <laughs> <laughs> we had so much fun last week. I'm oh, assuming I, I did read Superior, Superior number one. Yeah. Okay. So, what did you think of it? As a brand new relaunch, what did you think? I actually, I really wish he had held off on the whole last page reveal for a few more issues at least. Like, I, I loved everything with Auk. You know, with his. <laughs> When they brought out the Secret Six, that's like the B team's B team, and how much that angered him, and you know his pride and and all that. I like I liked everything they did there, but I just wish they'd held off on that reveal for a little longer. But I understand why they couldn't because Dan Slott needs to leave his house sometime. Yeah, really. So yeah, spoiler: the reveal for folks is, of course, you already know, is Peter still in his brain somewhere, and he's going to prevent him from doing bad things because. <laughs> Come on. I I thought that was weak, but of course there had to be a way that he was going to work his way back in there. So, but I still thought it was weak. The story as a whole, I thought like, and we talked about that last week. I tried not to reveal too much, but I, I, I like to a certain degree what they're doing with Auk in there and the different ways that he's behaving and things like that. I absolutely love his interactions with other villains 
that is fantastic. But the really creepy, sleazy interactions with Mary Jane. Yeah. That was like, that was. Significant concern. Not cool at all. Like not at all. And we saw some of that in issue 702 where like they're about to make out on the couch and you're going like, that's, ooh. Not that's that's yeah. you really don't want to cross that line. You're 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 skating even a little too close to it. So that really put me off. And then the ending again with uh, with Peter, the ghost of Peter in his brain that he can't actually hear, and Peter's monologuing to himself in Doc Ock's brain is like, oh, so it's falling on cliches in my opinion. I'm I enjoyed his interactions with. The, the other villains loved it, thought it was hysterical. His interactions even with the Horizon staff, mm-hmm. I thought was, was fun. And, but again, there's, there's far too many tells yet that, that no, nobody else is picking up on, which by now they should have. So obviously he hasn't lost me. I'm going to keep reading it, but it's nowhere near the event that I think it should be. I nothing? just miss, you know, the stuff that came before. Like, I have no problem with what we have, but he was on such a roll. Yeah. Like, I, I hate that he had to give that up for the sake of this story. Yeah, yeah. And then the others is I finally have been getting caught up on Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> so I'm going back through the archives here. Like, I mean, I'm like back to the start of it. I'm on issue 130 right now. So I've I've been reading a lot of Spider-Man right now. So you're about current then, right? I'm damn near. I'm very, very close. And so, because I also bounced around. I read like the volume two stuff kind of thing. And then I went, (laughs) oh crap, no, I have some volume one. And then I went back. Um, But man, that stuff is awesome. (laughs) Holy (laughs) crap in hell, folks. If you have not read the old Spider-Man, the old Ultimate Spider-Man stuff uh, by Bendis, pick up those trades. Pick it up, read it. That still that that stuff still works now and is absolutely fan. I can't stop reading them. It's like finish one, ploop, flip the page. I got it. I have to keep reading. It's just that enjoyable, start to finish. It's just awesome. Yeah, plus like it, it's been a number of years, but I still remember it being oh, pretty yeah, darn good. Man. And the interactions that he puts in there with, especially the X Men, because of his relationship mm-hmm. with with Kitty Pride, um, but also the rest of them, has, it makes it a ton of fun to see that. Because of course we're X Men fans. Um, but what I've found now, having read this, is that now. I can't wait to get to the point where, as sick as it sounds, where he dies because I'm going to appreciate it that much more and respect the writing because I enjoyed it as it was being written. We had a few issues here and there with what was going on, but now, now I'm invested. I'm 130 issues in of invested and it's also going to make me appreciate a lot more of what's going on now. Well, not it's going to, it has been because I, I read the latest ultimate as well. What's going on. And it also really, Now I need to go back and read Spider-Men again (laughs) because I remember it and I've been thinking about it as I'm reading this and thinking, oh my God, it's going to put a whole new spin on that. I'm going to absolutely love it. So yeah, for folks who have not read the original Ultimate Spider-Man, go back and pick up those trades. It is fantastic reading. I can't say enough good about it. So where did you jump in when you first started reading Ultimate Spidey? I will tell you in a moment. Was it like right, or like right before the whole Death of Spider-Man thing started? Oh, you're talking way back? Like yeah. Back in the way- day, yeah, I'd only started um, when the event was starting. I'd been reading 
like only for a few months before that. And then I started okay. in with the event kind of thing. So, so, so you missed all like the ultimatum stuff with Jonah. No, I did the ultimatum stuff. Okay. I, I read the ultimatum because that was, because that, well, that's you had the to. big parallels where you, you see, you know, when Jonah found out it was Pete and all that and seeing how that admiration carries forward to the Miles Spider-Man. Like yeah. that's a huge, yeah, fantastic exactly, parallel. Yeah. yeah. And then the, uh, and then when I started back again, like I said, I, I've got some old trades and whatnot, and I was reading the, um, it turns out being, I guess it's volume two winds up being, when they relaunched it to one. So, and then I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I went all the way back and I read the the original right from the start of mm-hmm. Ultimate. And oh, like I said, I can't stop reading them. I'm 130 <laughs> issues in and I have not been reading them that long. That was like this weekend and maybe a little last week. I just So basically all you've done for the past week is read comics read and fix your garage. <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, freaking garage. Do we really <laughs> want to talk about that now? You want no, angst? I just had let's, to throw it in there. Let's get the freaking bicycle bell out now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, again, definitely worth picking these up, folks. If you haven't read them, it's... It's not like it's old. It's not like it's dated. The writing is as good now as you'd pick up any modern comic books. I mean, these aren't that old. And uh, and solid stories that you will care about. Super. So that's it for you then? For now, yeah. All right. So as for this week's new releases, this is actually a good week as far as, you know, the last few weeks have been pretty monstrous. So uh, this week from Marvel, we have all new X-Men number six. <gasps> Avengers Assemble, number 11. Avenging Spider-Man, number 16, which is uh, bringing in regular writer Chris Yost, who uh, did write the 15.1, and it's superior Spidey teaming up with the X-Men, so that's interesting. Captain America, number 3. Captain Marvel, number 9. Dark Avengers, 185. Indestructible Hulk, number 3. New Avengers, number 2. The new Savage Wolverine, number 1. As well as Venom, 30. And X-Factor, 250. From DC, we have 16s for Batgirl, Batman, Demon Knights, and Suicide Squad, as well as issue four for Team 7. And the only other thing I picked up on this week is Saga number nine for Image. And I know there has to be something else out there from the from you know one of the other companies that I'm missing out on. So again, I implore anyone, if if there's something we're not reading and you'd like to check out, email us, uh, Vince at comicbookinformer.com or Roger at comicbookinformer.com. So you got anything else for us this week, Raj, or we got to wrap it up here? That's it. Let's wrap it up. I'm hungry. All right. So thank you for (laughs) listening. As always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. So until next time, thanks for listening. All right. Cool. I'm going to have a cracker right now. I'm not waiting. (laughs) 